People enjoy the jobs because of the purpose. When you're working on earth observation, you're working to solve climate change, deforestation, immigration problems, so you get to solve you know, important things. When you're working on communication satellites, you're bringing uh, space-based communications to everyone on earth, no matter where they live, which is gonna result in everyone having the same access to education and everyone having the same access to create a business online. Doesn't matter where you live. Tremendous change is coming over the next few years. And then here in robotics and space operations, you're obviously providing the capability to go and build and operate, manufacture and create things in space, go and live to work on the moon, go and live and work on Mars, and as the foundation of our space exploration. Welcome to 2023, and the first episode of the new season of Making It in Ontario. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and I'm being joined today by Brendan Sweeney. We started this podcast two years ago, and I'm not sure that we've been as excited for an episode as we were with this one. I mean, when you show up and accidentally park in NASA reserved parking spot, Brendan, wouldn't you agree that's usually a sign that it's going to be an interesting episode? You got that right. This company is Ontario-based, Ontario-grown, and about as advanced as manufacturing gets. They are perhaps best known for the Canadarm, but as we learned throughout the episode they've got a lot more than just that going on yeah they do they really do and if you haven't guessed it already this episode features mike greenley the ceo of brampton-based space and robotics technology manufacturer mda i mean the 13 year old me would have lost his mind as a space nerd from a young age i never would have thought that i'd get to visit the facility where they built the canid arm and they're moving to a bigger campus on the other side of brampton this year and hiring hundreds of new staff. If you're looking for an exciting career in one of the most advanced companies out there, MDA might be for you. Listen, these types of companies are like crown jewels. Uh, these are the types of companies that an entire ecosystem, or in this case, planetary system, uh. forms around. Uh, these are the types of companies that launch careers, pun intended, uh, and launch new technologies and launch other new companies. Uh, MDA's Launchpad program uh, is a great example of that. It allows small and medium-sized companies to collaborate directly with MDA and to play a role in building new space and robotics technologies and a new space and robotics technology ecosystem uh, centered in Brampton. Yeah, they really are doing a lot. And we were also excited to be joined on this episode by Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, an ardent supporter of manufacturing in Ontario and the very first sitting politician to appear on our podcast. Now, among the things he discussed, he also discussed the very terrestrial but very important issue of land, built up land, business land. Brampton has it. Check the timestamp for that discussion. Even if you're not in the space manufacturing industry, Brampton has a lot to offer. And that includes talented people. As Mike tells us, MDA has hired over 1,000 people in the past 18 months alone. So they are growing. Now, if you're listening to this episode, you're probably not here to listen to Brendan and I chat. You're here to listen to MDA. So without further ado, here's Mayor Patrick Brown and Mike Greenley, the CEO of MDA on Making It in Ontario. And there we go. Now we're rolling. Uh, it's Nick here chatting with, uh, well, I've got Brendan Sweeney in the room. Say hello, Brendan, please. Hello. Say it one more time when you're nice and close to that hello. pops. Hello. There you go. And now we've got two new friends 
Uh, to my left, sir, would you please introduce yourself? Uh, Mayor Patrick Brown, the great city of Brampton. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mayor Brown. Thank you for joining us today. And sitting directly in front of me, sir, would you introduce yourself, please? I'm Mike Greenley. I'm the CEO of MDA from here in Brampton. Yeah, we are in MDA today. And I, I am excited. I'm not going to lie. I mean, as, as a uh, somewhere back in time, like the 13-year-old version of me is going to be thrilled as all heck that I'm actually in the place where the Canadarm was it built here? Yeah, Canon Armor is manufactured here. Yep. That's fantastic. So let's start it off here. Give us a quick history of MDA, if you could. Sure. MDA is about a 53, 54-year-old uh, company in Canada, focused primarily on space. It works in three different areas. Uh, in geointelligence, we build and operate Earth observation satellites, radar-based Earth observation satellites. So these are satellites up in the sky that have a radar sensor on them. They take active pings of the Earth's surface and measure the return, which means we can see through cloud, we can see through rain, we can see at day, we can see at night, through all kinds of weather. Our satellites are orbiting the Earth every day, and we're providing people uh, imagery and data from those satellites for a range of purposes, to find ships at sea, to measure the ice in the Arctic, to detect deforestation in rainforests, all those types of things. So we have about a 30-year history of uh, developing and operating Earth observation satellites. Second area we work in in MDA is, um, is uh, uh, communication satellites. So we uh, build and deliver to people either satellite subsystems or full satellites. We've been doing that for about 60 years, and we uh, delivered over 300 different satellite missions um, over time. These days, we're building satellites for a company called Global Star. Global Star satellites are providing a network to Apple that's going to connect their iPhones to space. And so that's some of the neat stuff we're working on there. Here in Brampton, which is what the main conversation is, we're involved in robotics. So we, we talk about this as robotics and space operations. So here we build robotic systems. We built the Canadarm that flew on space shuttle. 90 or 100 missions on Space Shuttle. Then Canadarm2 uh, from here, which went to the International Space Station, uh, has been operating there for over the last 20 years. And right now, these days, we're busy building Canadarm3, which is the next generation artificial intelligence-based robotics that will go to a place called Lunar Gateway, which will be a new space station that will orbit the moon. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, I remember watching a documentary when I was like 13 years old on that Canadarm, and I remember, so how, I was probably in, let's say, I think that was 93. Which version would that have been? 1993. That could have been yeah, Canadarm 2, sure. Yeah. yeah. So what's, what's going to happen with the, with the Canadarm 3? What's new and exciting with that? You mentioned uh, some AI there. Yeah, Canadarm 3 um, will have a couple of uh, unique features in the current plan. It'll have uh, two arms that work together, a large arm and a small arm as part of it that will work together. Um, so like a, a larger, more crane-like arm, and then a smaller, dexterous arm for doing fine tasks. It will have more of an artificial intelligence-based control system. So right now, today, the current International Space Station orbits the Earth about 400 kilometers up. The new space station, Lunar Gateway, will orbit the Moon, and it will be 400,000 kilometers away, so a much longer distance. As a result, uh, we won't talk to it all the time. We'll talk to it every few days. And there won't be astronauts at that space station all the time. Current space station has had astronauts on board the last 22 years. Um, this new space station will have just astronauts transiently coming by to visit and work there for periods of time, and then other times it will be empty. And so the robotic systems, as a result, um, have to be uh, controlled from here on Earth, but uh, the AI-based control systems have to allow it to operate autonomously for multiple days before we check in and see how it's doing and give it its next set of tasks. The other unique thing about Canadarm3 is that 
um, the control environment will be here in Brampton. So CanadaArm2 is operated from Houston by NASA on the International Space Station. CanadaArm3 will be operated by MDA from here in Brampton in our facilities. So I'm going to throw this question out to the both of you. Well, Brendan too, I guess, because he's here too. But let's, let's talk about the space economy. Yeah. Because I think that... Uh, I mean, after the conversations that I've had from my chair from this podcast, I know that there's a lot happening. So let's talk about the space economy and I guess Brampton's role within it. Well, let me say, first of all, you know, what an incredible privilege and honor it is to have a company like MDA that is uh, a leader in this field in, in the world with this type of investment in the city of Brampton. And, you know, hearing the reference to you know, the previous control from, from Houston. Everyone knows those iconic scenes in the movies when they're saying, hello, Houston. So to hear that uh, uh, the control uh, for the next uh, generation, uh, that control will be in, in, in Brampton. They're going to have to edit some of those movies and say, hello, Brampton. So <laughs> yeah. as a mayor of our city, it gives a great smile uh, to me that something, is, this extraordinary accomplishment of aerospace is being achieved in, in, in our community by such a reputable company. Uh, I do believe there's there's big spin-off. You know, Mike would obviously have better insights into the wide array of companies that he works with, but when you look at this ex- this expansion, it's not just the 700 jobs that will be very high-skilled here in this facility, but there is a whole economy around those aerospace jobs, and it really makes me think of the words of one of our most famous residents in the city, and that's the former uh, Premier of Ontario, Bill Davis. Now, he passed away last year, but was a real visionary. And he was Minister of Education before he was Premier. And he gave a speech in the legislature where he said, as a society, we need to focus on the jobs of tomorrow, not the jobs of yesterday. And when I think of the jobs of tomorrow, there's no better example of that than aerospace. And every day you learn about a new example of the uses of this technology. Just hearing today, right here for the first time about the integration with Apple, um, you know, th- those those applications, I'm sure, will grow in, in, in terms of the, the cross utility. We could take that tangent and talk about Brampton. But before I do that, I actually wanted, I, I'd like Brendan to tell that quick little anecdote about how we are monitoring economic activity in China. Through satellite imagery. And what, and, are, and what specifically are they looking at, Brendan? Parking lots. And whether it's at a mall, whether it's at a vehicle assembly plant, y- using the number of vehicles in, in or not in a parking lot, among other things. And um, yeah, the Fed in the United States is very uh, interested in this. And so, and, but again, whether it's the Arctic, whether it's a forest, uh, it, it seems that the possibilities are that we're really just scratching the surface right now on what we can do with well, look at, satellite look, imagery. So look at Ukraine. I understand that there was an MDA uh, role in helping with imaging there. And so you know, Canada has always prided itself on you know, wanting to be a peacekeeper, wanting to, 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 to help with freedom and democracy. And, and hearing, and, and Mike, I, I don't know the specifics, but hearing that there was even a request of MDA to have, of how they could be helpful there. That's true. Yeah, we did use our Earth observation satellites for Ukraine. I think uh, a range of actually commercial satellites uh, have happened. Um, you were talking earlier about this, you know, what's going on in the economy. And one of the biggest things in the space economy that's going on is the, is the transition from government-based activity to commercial activity. 
So the cost of launch in space has dramatically declined over the last several decades. When we first started launching things on space shuttle launches, for example, that, that generation, it was about $18,000 a kilogram to launch something into space. Today, it's around two to $3,000 a kilogram to launch something into space. And in a few years, SpaceX will launch, will use a different rocket called Starship, which sometimes you might see on social media right now. When Starship gets going, uh, the cost of things launching into space will be about one to $200 a kilogram. So dramatic declines in this. And as a result, corporations can now conduct business in space. Space is accessible. You can raise money, you can conduct a business, and you can make profit by operating um, in space. So these, these commercial activities start to open up all kinds of uh, new opportunity. I was thinking of that because that's what an example of what's happened in Ukraine, where our Earth observation satellites, which historically have provided information on government contracts to folks and, and government contracts who sponsor you, um, now became much more, is becoming much more commercial. Corporations are buying Earth observation imagery. And in the case of Ukraine, a range of different agencies and organizations started rapidly buying imagery of what's going on in Ukraine to support the government um, in their activities, uh, you know, to protect themselves against, against Russia. We see that in robotics as well, just so you know. One of the big things that's happening with us in the robotics side, certainly here in Brampton, we're developing Canada Arm 3. But uh, one of the big activities is, is that we're investing in commercializing that technology to, to create commercial derivatives of the Canada Arm 3 technology so that we can sell it to other commercial corporations. And so there's four commercial space stations being developed right now by different companies. Um, and we would talk to them about putting sensors and robotics on them from uh, our plant here in, in Brampton. In addition to a range of spacecraft that are commercially operated, that would service satellites, repair satellites, that would assemble things in space. And uh, so there's a whole range of commercial activity for us to get involved in there. Finally, um, our robotics or remote work also brings us into the rover business. So MDA's had uh, technology from here in Brampton on rovers on Mars for the last 15 years. And uh, we're, we've now recently signed an agreement with General Motors and uh, Lockheed Martin to develop um, rovers for the moon, so the lunar mobility fleet. And uh, the robotics from here in Brampton, in addition to other technologies from our rover capabilities, um, would be able to contribute to that rover fleet uh, for the lunar surface. And we've actually now started to get into some conversations about how Canada could get involved in actually doing um, electric vehicle manufacturing here in Ontario uh, for the lunar surface. Um, and so we can use the space capabilities here in Brampton, the automotive sector that's available in Ontario, and the uh, electric vehicle, electric battery community, and uh, be able to deliver electric vehicles for the moon in the future. So all of these activities now start to create these commercial derivatives, like we saw with Earth observation in Ukraine, but we're seeing it also in the full range of robotics and stuff, um, being able to find you know, new customers in this emerging market. That is incredible. I guess moving forward, it's not going to be uh, Houston, we have a problem. It's going to be uh, Brampton, we have a glitch. Or a solution. That's much better. I like that, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the jobs that mm -hmm. are going to be available in the future space economy. The supply chain to orbit, the supply chain to space. When we walked in, we walked in, it was around lunchtime, mm -hmm. and uh, we noticed your cafeteria was bustling with activity. Mm -hmm. And uh, Good we, lunch today. What, yeah, what, yeah, by the, by the lunch pad, as it was called. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of these jobs. Mm -hmm. What can, and, and I will throw this open to both of you, mm -hmm. what sorts of people are you hiring for? What sorts of jobs are you looking for today? What do you think is going to be needed in the future? Um, tell us a little bit about that. For us, from an MDA perspective, we certainly are hiring a lot. 
So we've hired about 1,500 people in the last 18 months in MDA across the country. This year, a lot of that focus has been here in Brampton. Um, in the robotics business in Brampton in 2022, we've hired more than 400 into this facility, the building that we're in right now. Um, so tremendous amount of growth and lift um, at the, of activity that's going on there. In terms of the types of jobs, um, because of the nature of our projects right now, um, a lot of those jobs are uh, technical, engineering, science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM type jobs. Um, but um, a lot of technical jobs in engineering fields um, across the full spectrum, systems, electrical, mechanical, control systems, you know, the full artificial intelligence, the full range of uh, engineering disciplines we need for each of our discipline areas, whether it's earth observation, communication satellites, or here in the robotics, in the robotics area. These are all what a, a government scorecard would say are called HQPs, or high quality positions. So these are jobs that pay uh, above average salaries. They um, give people very engaging work on obviously very hard challenges and things to work on. They get to work on, on, on things related to space. People enjoy the jobs because of the purpose. When you're working on earth observation, you're working to solve climate change, deforestation, immigration problems, so you get to solve you know, important things. When you're working on communication satellites, you're bringing uh, space-based communications to everyone on earth, no matter where they live, which is gonna result in everyone having the same access to education and everyone having the same access to create a business online. Doesn't matter where you live. The tremendous change is coming over the next few years. And then here in robotics and space operations, you're obviously providing the capability to go and build and operate, manufacture and create things in space, go and live to work on the moon, go and live and work on Mars. And as a foundation of our space exploration activities to give you know, a number of countries their astronaut programs, including Canada. This is all important because we build technologies that are then reusable on Earth, in addition to having a very huge inspiration component. Um, in terms of just encouraging people to study science, technology, engineering, and math, and also encouraging Canadians to just go after their dreams. So there's a very big um, uh, economic stimulus component from this. This type of workforce, studies have shown in Canada that the, the economic multiplier on space is about 2.4, 2.5. So every dollar you put into space, you're getting about a 2.4, 2.5 bang coming out the other side because of the level of job, these HQPs, um, and, and then the, the nature of the workforce that you're creating. See, now you're talking Dr. Sweeney's language about economic multipliers. Mayor Brown, I wanna quickly ask you a question, speaking about the future economy. And I think there's a reason MDA has been in Brampton for as long as they have. What can you tell me about how, uh, how the city is getting ready for the economy and the, the jobs and the, how are you cultivating the people in your town? City, excuse me. Yeah, so I, I think one of the natural advantages we have in, in Brampton is that we've got a young population, uh, we have an educated population, but we've got a very diverse population. So if there are linguistic barriers, we speak every language in the world in Brampton. We, uh, I think it's 119 different languages spoken in, in, in Brampton, literally from every corner of the globe. And so for global companies, I think that language diversity helps. I'd also say our economic development department, we've got a, a director there, Claire Barnett, who's doing a great job, is focused very much on the innovation uh, economy, uh, the tech jobs of the future. And our message to our local education stakeholders is adapt your programming to meet the labor market needs that will exist. And so when I'm talking to a Ryerson or a Sheridan or Algoma, um, my message will be look what's needed, build education pathways towards what exists today. 
And I think what's happened in MDA, the entire education community in Brampton will, should adapt. If Mike says this is what we're going to need in five years, I hope that we're preparing young people uh, for, for that possibility and, and that the, the best and the brightest earn the, the opportunity to work for such a great company. You know, I'll give you one example that I just heard recently. Um, a third-year student at Sheridan College studying an advanced diploma in mechanical engineering technology striving towards a bachelor's in engineering has been offered a 12-month co-op opportunity as a manufacturing engineer student at, with MDA. This opportunity will offer him first-hand experience to work in a Canadian-based company that is contributing to the global innovation of space technology. What an extraordinary opportunity for, for that young person. If I'd had that opportunity way back then, I mean, I don't know that I'd be sitting here in front of you guys right now. I mean, um, some time ago we did a study about the composition of uh, the workforces for companies that have managed to shift the dial. And obviously we don't have data on MDA. But as we walked in, we saw the composition of your workforce. It was very, like the mayor said, it was very young. It was very diverse. What advice would you have for other companies looking to diversify their workforce in a way that MDA seems to have done today? Yeah. So I think for any employees listening out there, I think we would always be challenging ourselves to uh, increasingly be having a more diversified and inclusive workforce. So I wouldn't feel right now today that we're necessarily ahead. Um, we've spent um, a fair amount of time, we've just completing about an 18-month study working with the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion to study our workforce, to understand you know, what, we, what our composition is, what the challenges are for the different types of people that would come into the business, whether it's um, you know, age, race, gender, educational background, to make sure that we can have like, a really solid, inclusive workforce because we all know that results in a much more powerful work environment um, when you can do that. Um, so that's a continual work in progress for us. I think um, when you talk about space and you get that glint in your eye, I said that when you were 13 years old, you were really interested in space. When we interview people to work here, there's sort of like two groups of people. One are, I'm you know, very interested in my field, whether it's in uh, finance or communications or human resources or all the different fields of engineering, and I would love to bring that to a great Canadian company like MDA. And then there's this other half of the people that say, I've been dreaming about space since I was two years old, and I just want to work in a space company. And like, there's this passion in their eye, and they're like living their dream to come and work for a space company. And you know in those interviews, you got them <laughs> right away. And so our job is to bring both those groups of people together and to be able to create a great uh, work uh, environment um, that is pulling people uh, into a nice work, into a good work environment with purpose, because I mentioned earlier, the purpose of what we do, I think really connects with people. That provides reasonable compensation. We, we have a, a matrix that we look at in terms of the, the whole work experience, in terms of what you get to work on, how much you get paid, what your benefits are like, what your work environment is like, and try to deliver on that overall package to folks um, to be able to create a great place to work. But then we've all got work to do, every company does, and we've been spending a bunch of time on it the last few years, to then, you know, once all those folks are in the door in a great environment and doing okay, to be able to create a place where you can develop in your career, that you can, you can move around, 
get the experiences that you need and grow as a person. And so um, we've had to, we work on a number of things. Certainly at, at my level, you can see that from the website, from a gender diversity perspective, I've personally put effort in at the very senior management level, trying to make sure that that's uh, well balanced. Um, we'll be spreading that down through the organization as we continue to move forward. Age and experience is a big thing as well. Um, in our environment, we've got a lot of people that have been around working on space for decades and decades. And then, as you mentioned, you came in today and saw all kinds of young people. Yep, for sure. And we've hired like 400 people in this building this year, like I said before. And so figuring out how to transfer knowledge, transfer knowledge between really experienced folks to the new folks and be able to spread that around so that the collective space knowledge of MDA becomes the collective knowledge of a diverse group of people and that we become much more practiced at transferring knowledge from those that have been with us for 25 years to those who've been with us for five, um, which then creates the opportunities um, for that full diverse population to move up and through the organization. We still have a fair amount of work to do in those regards, and we're just starting in the very early days of trying to talk about that and figure out how to systematize that so this new surge of people that we have can really extend through the next couple of decades, really. We have very low turnover here at MDA in Brampton. If you want to work on space, work on technologies that are going to go to the moon, and that are going to go to Mars, this is a very good place to work. And so uh, once people come, they kind of get connected to it and they don't leave very quick. And so what we have to do is, is be able to do that diversity management piece um, and inclusion piece, I think, a lot better all the time uh, so that uh, we, we encourage people to stick around for, for a long period of time. So let's put the space discussion on hold for a quick second, just talk about manufacturing. Okay. You recently, I think you guys have a new building coming, right? We are developing a new facility here in Brampton, yeah. So right now we're, we're here in Airport Road today at our facility, and we have a new uh, bit of a campus being developed over uh, around uh, sort of 407 and Financial Drive, or 407 and Mississauga Road area. That's fantastic. So uh, this question I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably toss to Mayor Brown a sec. Talking about employable land in Ontario, I, I think it's fantastic that a, a company like MDA has room to grow in Brampton. Um, what can you tell me about um, Brampton's ability to provide land for businesses? Because it sounds like you know, MDA found one, which is fantastic. Um, tell us about employable land in Brampton. So I think one opportunity we have in Brampton is that we have land. Uh, if you look at Mississauga or Toronto, they're essentially built out. So they, they don't have land. Everything is infill. And so... We, we do have land in, in, in Brampton. It's why we're probably uh, one of the fastest-growing communities in the country. We are the fastest-growing big city, uh, and we want to make sure that it's not just residential growth, it's employment growth. It's, it's, it's these jobs that people can enjoy when they live in, in the community. And so uh, we're very focused on trying to retain and protect and uh, have that employment land available when you have iconic companies that might get interested. And so the example of, of, of MDA, it, it, it worked out perfectly, but you know, we're, we're in the luxurious position where if there's other companies uh, like MDA, specifically what it excites us is in the field of, of innovation and technology, we've got land, we've got opportunity. So looking down the road five years, 10 years, um, what would you like to tell the, uh, the manufacturers that exist today and some of the people that are probably in university today that might found a company within the next five years? That if you're looking at locations, there are strategic advantages that exist in Brampton. We've got the workforce. 
Um, we've got uh, available land. We're right next to Pearson um, International. We, we've got uh, um, the, the intermodal hub. And so there's the capacity uh, to get not just employees, but, uh, but there's the capacity to get your product to marketplace. Because not, but MD is a bit unusual. Their marketplace is space, but for, <laughs> but for, for others, uh, uh, employment sectors, it's, it's air, it's, it's, it's rail. So I want to talk a little more about the space economy. What does that look like? What sorts of players are going to be there? Like, I, I understand that like, we've interviewed a satellite manufacturer doing a lot of imaging and intercommunication amongst themselves. What else, what other opportunities exist out there that maybe the average person like myself hasn't thought of? It's, um, it's very expansive at the moment. So if we kind of maybe break it down a little bit into chunks, um, maybe I'd start with the, the one important thing is that the space economy is an economy. You said that. It is real. I agree. It's growing. Right now, globally, there's about $400 billion a year of economic activity conducted related to space. The most conservative estimate for around the 2040 period would be about $1.5 would be the target. Um, some of those go up to like two, three trillion, depending on how enthusiastic people get. But at a conservative level, the sort of one to one and a half trillion dollars of economic activity by 2040 is a, seems to be a realistic number that people are looking at. So it is an economy, and as I just said, it's it's solid and it's growing. If you look at elements, um, if I was to kind of break it down a little bit, um, I like to think about the space to Earth economy as thing one, whereby there are um, objects in orbit around Earth that can then interact with Earth and cause economic activity. Uh, one of those we've discussed is Earth observation. So folks that can put up different sensors on a satellite that can observe the Earth and uh, detect change. It's, uh, and so um, the simple way of thinking about that is a solid camera or an optical satellite. You look down at the Earth, you zoom in, and you take pictures. Uh, we have radar satellites, so we're pinging the Earth, measuring the return, and taking pictures. Um, but there's all sorts of other sensors. There's people that have hyperspectral sensors that are used to be able to look at uh, things like uh, agriculture and be able to diagnose what's going on with crops. Uh, there's an increasingly successful Canadian company with methane detectors on their satellites. So they're orbiting around the earth measuring off all the emissions from individual specific plants um, and being able to challenge anybody's claims for what they think their you know, various forms of emissions might be and be able to hold them to account for the promises that they might have made or you know, re regulations that are required. And so that's a, an entirely different type of sensor. So there's a wide range of sensors now that you can put in orbit in Earth observation to be able to uh, detect change on the Earth. As a result, from a, uh, you know, who can get involved, you know, anybody can get involved that's involved in various forms of sensors, for example, that could sense things on Earth, they could partner with somebody that builds satellites and put a business case in orbit. Another part to the, the space to Earth economy is communications that we've mentioned. Um, so building broadband communication networks, uh, you know, so that everyone can have access to the internet. A lot of corporations are looking at the internet of things. So people that can build devices that can track objects uh, on planes, trains, and automobiles around the world, have them track from space. Um, that's an increasing you know, source of business in terms of networking activity. I mentioned the uh, satellite to device market um, as another market that's, that's growing. In, in each of those sectors, both the earth observation sector and the communication sector, there's the part of the business where somebody builds a satellite and puts it in orbit and measures things. But then there's what we call the downstream benefits. So in Earth observation, maybe I operate a satellite and can provide data of what's going on on Earth, but then there's all kinds of companies that could buy that data from me 
and create information products around it. So that's a, the whole, a huge downstream uh, analytics and, and business market for uh, software professionals, artificial intelligence professionals and the like to be able to take the information from satellites and then create information products that companies and governments can use for analysis that they might be interested in. Uh, the same thing can happen on the communication side. That's the communication link, but there's downstream applications to that communication. When we get up into orbit, into the space-to-space -space part of the economy, um, that's, that's going to be an adventure. The more that that comes, you, that's where you get into all the exploration and inspiration and, uh, side of things. But also, tremendous opportunity now for in-orbit business parks, basically. We're going to see commercial space stations come, and commercial space stations will uh, support tourism. So people will increasingly go up to a commercial space station to be able to uh, you know, become an astronaut and see the Earth from space. Uh, one of the commercial space stations has announced uh, a partnership with Hilton. Um, and so you can see where that could go um, in terms of being able to have a vacation in orbit and go up for a week and go around the Earth a few dozen times and, uh, you know, come back. That's a whole adventure to come for large numbers of people. Being able to manufacture in space will be an increasingly popular thing. And so there are uh, chemicals, substances, structures, so all the biochemists and material scientists and human life scientists out there that uh, are looking to invent things. The opportunity to do very advanced manufacturing in orbit um, is going to come as we go forward into the future. If we look at things people have dabbled with at the moment, um, they've dabbled with elements of biosciences, looking at manufacturing human retinas in zero-gravity environments, manufacturing human organs in zero-gravity environments, um, bringing them back to Earth, manufacturing fiber-optic cables that have a level of purity and therefore bandwidth in them that far exceed anything that you would build on Earth in terms of the, the, the effects of gravity. So there's a wide range of things that will start to emerge as people get used to the fact that they can cost-affordably get up to a space station and then conduct in an industrial park in orbit zero-gravity-based manufacturing and then bring things back to Earth. Some folks are studying power generation in space. Um, so solar power is a whole thing to, that, that a, a group of the population is exploring, whereby you'd have uh, solar power stations in orbit, much closer to the sun, obviously, that are then beaming down power wirelessly from a station in orbit down to the, down to the Earth's surface. That's uh, something that people explore um, going forward into the, into the future. And some folks, um, led by Lutzenberg and other places, um, are looking at space mining very seriously. There's about 17,000 asteroids uh, within reach of Earth that have a wide range of mineral content that has been estimated to be in the quintillions of dollars. That a few decades from now, as uh, uh, advances in spacecraft and uh, sensors and robotics like we build, um, will be integrated into latching on to an asteroid and mining it. There's a whole uh, activity there that has a very, very large economic potential and also obviously a very earth-saving potential. So instead of continuing to, to bore into the earth and or if we run out of certain things in terms of mineral content on earth, we can get access to that um, in orbit. So these are just, just a few things, just to bang around a few in different categories whereby new economic activity can come and companies involved in all those supply chains can get involved. The last thing I'll say is that on the next generation of rockets like Starship, where I was mentioning we can get down into the 100 to 200 kilograms uh, dollars per kilogram to launch, these space systems are, are forecasted to be able to hold and move about 100 metric tons. 
And so as a result of that, we don't have to be as specialized potentially in the future. You know, back in the 1960s to build a vehicle or something to go into space, it has to be super high, super lightweight and fold upable and, you know, expandable and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the future, the ability to take something that you're used to using on Earth and rolling it onto a bigger rocket and just taking it into space, you know, with some modifications, but um, it's going to provide much more accessibility to people's business thinking is that, you know, I do this on Earth, I can imagine that's relevant to space, I can get there cost affordably and participate in this economy. It really is jaw-dropping hearing that, isn't it? It in, is. In terms of the different uh, potential uses that, that could exist in, in space, just, um, you know, it, it blows your mind in terms of, of what, what could lie ahead in the future, and it's, ex it's exciting. Yeah. Do we have plans for a spaceport, Mayor Brown, in Brampton? <laughs> no plans right now, but you never know with uh, MDA's growth what uh, people will be talking about in 30, 40 years. There are yeah. people exploring, just to be clear, spaceports in Canada. So in Canada, we don't have like a, you know, a big launch facility or anything at the moment, but uh, there is a, a spaceport being developed in Nova Scotia. Uh, there are other companies looking at horizontal launch capability, um, basically launch capability that can come off of a more normal airport. Um, and being able to have uh, spaceport activity in Canada around just m more normal airports uh, that may have dual uses for um, aircraft and or space launch. Um, so we would definitely expect it to come in Canada as we go through the next few years uh, to be able to have launch capacity in the country. Let's talk about the advanced manufacturing ecosystem of the GTHA. I think we call it the GTBA around here. <laughs> Oops, my I like that. I go. like that. So GTBA then, let's talk about this, because uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, just, just one comment on where we are right now in, you know, at the, at the heart of the GTBA anyway, the, the intersection kind of between Brampton, Mississauga, Toronto, Vaughan, you take a 15 kilometer kind of radius around that, that puts us right there. That is the most manufacturing dense part of any metropolitan area in North America. The metropolitan region here has more manufacturing employees as a percentage of the entire workforce than any major metropolitan area in North America, more than Houston, more than Los Angeles, more than Chicago. And this, this is like the epicenter. If we took a kilometer around here right now, we'd have the Stellantis plant, we'd have Martin Ray, we'd have NBA, we'd have thousands of people working in hyper-advanced manufacturing, <clears throat> what does it mean to be part of that ecosystem and does that you know, help with MDA's decisions to, to grow here? Yeah, I think it does. I think that um, um, you, you want to be part of that, those communities where you can you know, you're, you're get access to all that labor base and that, all that talent that's moving around between corporations and the like. Um, I think that when we do it, I've been in a few focus groups actually related to Brampton and future planning and stuff. It's important for the mayor and all that, the, the council crowd and stuff to pay attention to, to zoning and stuff, obviously. Um, the ability to cluster, you know, like crowds, um, I think is, is, is a really important thing. When, for us, like our next facility here in Brampton is a combination of two things. It's the head office for a corporation, in addition to being the robotics center of excellence and robotics, you know, manufacturer assembly and test with our robotics control centers in as part of it. And so being in neighborhoods where there's other head offices and, and like buildings around, 
um, that's an important thing. There will be others that are involved in uh, you know, warehousing and distribution, they would want to be in like neighborhoods for that or different types of manufacturing that needs access to warehousing and distribution. So um, I've never been involved in city planning, but I think it's interesting to think about like causing there to be the right clusters of things that have similar like interests because you always want to be part of that as a corporation to be, you know, near, near others that are like you. Yeah. And Mayor Brown, I just want to I want to highlight the fact that you hit the nail on the head a few times a little bit ago when you were saying uh, the population of Brampton is young, diverse and all of that. Uh, we have been beating the drum of youth and diversity as assets to manufacturing, certainly as long as I've been with Trillium. And yeah, I, I just I want to take a second to say that that is a that is a quantifiably an advantage to doing business within Brampton. And I think. I think we saw that today here, certainly with with MDA. This it's 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 fantastic. The o the only comment I had, and th this is an interesting one, when we think about in the United States, which city generally bills itself as the most diverse out of any of the big cities in the United States? Any guesses? New York. New York. I was no, going to say no. No, not even, and and, and objectively not even close. Hmm. Houston. Space, oh, really? space City. Wow. So oh, funny that, you know, Space City South, Houston and Brampton, I mean, it, that, that, that the space industry seems to land in, launch from diversity, divert from the from the most diverse, some of the most diverse cities in on the continent. That's yeah. interesting. Hmm. So we are in possession of data that says you guys are doing great. <laughs> in other words, Mike, Mayor Brown. Brendan, I want to thank you guys for your time today. Thank you for chatting with us. Thank you for letting us into the boardroom. Uh, I hope to have a, a follow-up to this conversation at some point. Sure, anytime. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you all.